Hey everyone, I'm Yasmin Nori, and you're listening to the Behind Her Empire podcast. I'm on a mission to showcase successful self-made women who share honest stories and lessons of what it really takes to create the life you want and build your own empire. If you've been listening to the show, you know, just like you, I've been on my own personal journey to build my empire. And for the last year and a half, I've worked diligently on starting a new business all around helping women tackle their period problems and hormonal imbalances using a natural whole foods approach. If you're suffering from extreme cramps, fatigue, bloating, stay tuned because a little bit later in the podcast, I'll share a bit more about my company, Bia. But for now, let's jump into today's episode. I want to welcome this week's guest, Anjala Acharya, to our show today. Angela is the founder and CEO of A-Series Investments and Management. She works as a talent strategist and strategic investor and advisor to many consumer tech and CPG startups, including two early stage investments, ClassPass and Bumble, which have grown into billion dollar unicorns. She's also invested in many other female founded brands, many of whom have been on this podcast, like Thrive Cosmetics, HealthAid Kombucha, and Yumi. In addition to being an early investor and advocate, Angela is also the manager and business partner to international superstar Priyanka Chopra. And she played a critical role in launching Priyanka's career here in America. Angela's career and groundbreaking work in diversity and pop culture has been profiled, recognized, and featured in many publications, including the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, and Forbes magazine. Here are a few highlights of what we covered in today's episode with Angela. The power of visualization and how to tune into the opportunities around you. The impact that bullying had on her and how she turned those negative experiences into her superpower. How connecting with a legendary record executive completely changed her life trajectory. How she used goal setting and sheer hustle to launch Priyanka Chopra's career in America. And lastly, we also talked to Angela about the key traits she looks for in startup founders, how she picks her investments, and the top mistakes she sees entrepreneurs making today. Welcome to the show, Angela. Thank you so much. It's so great to be here. I've been an admirer of you for such a long time. Oh, feelings are mutual. I was just telling you, I've had so many of your amazing friends slash portfolio companies on the podcast. So I know this is going to be an amazing interview. And I just want to jump into it because I feel like there's so much that we are going to talk about today. But I once heard in an interview that at a young age, you were practicing the power of visualization. That's not a common thing you hear a child doing. Yeah, I guess it was just something intuitive. I grew up in a really tough environment. I grew up in England in the 70s and 80s, and it was very, it was really hard. It was really racist. It was like a real sort of neo-Nazi movement happening. So people weren't fond of foreigners and particularly like foreigners like my parents who had thick Indian accents and were real immigrants. So we got a lot of hate and that left me to a lot of isolation. You know, sometimes kids didn't want to play with me because of my color. And I had real lonely moments. And I was the youngest of three children. So my brother and sister were like cooler and older and they had their own friends group. And I wasn't part of that. And I think they thought I was too young to be a part of that. So I spent a lot of time on my own. And I remember being in my bedroom and I had one of those little cassette recorders and I used to listen to a lot of Michael Jackson and I found him very inspiring. And I remember being probably about 10 years old. So we were edging into the 80s then. Yeah, so I was listening to a lot of Michael Jackson and I would be under like my covers listening to him. And then I would sit on my windowsill and look at the stars and still very dreamy. And I'd look at the stars and I used to think, God, those same stars that are in 
where I lived in Newport Pagnon, Milton Keynes in England, are the same stars that are in Hollywood. And one day I'd be under those stars in Hollywood. And that's, I don't even know where that came from. I don't even know how that happened. And I would really visualize my life in LA. It was so crazy. And I remember growing up, I'd practice an American accent so badly that my parents would get me one of their party tricks was me coming down and doing the American Express <laughs> advert, which was this American woman saying that she only uses American Express. And I would practice my American accent for the time that I was going to move to Hollywood. And I would do this terrible American accent. And I remember like, you know, when you let your parents down, like my parents would be like, she's really good at it. She's really good at it. And do that like they swear you, do the accent and I would do it and they'd be like, oh, she normally does it better. And I'd be like, great, I've let them down. But anyway, so that's when it really started, I suppose. Yeah, it's pretty amazing to see how you essentially, even if you did it subconsciously, manifested this new life that you're in today. But I'm curious, on a more practical level, are there any routines or traditions you do today? Because I know visualization and you really being in touch with your gut and intuition still plays such a big role. Yeah, so I remember, I'm not going to say who it was, but so I read The Secret. Actually, I don't know if you remember. So a really good friend of mine, Jay Sean, the singer, Jay Sean, we were both reading The Secret at the same time. And this was just at the time that he got signed by Cash Money and his career was blowing up. And we would talk about The Secret and we'd be like, yeah, really into that. And I'd read The Secret and I had a really important meeting with someone that really changed my life in many ways. And I remember it's a weird thing, but I'd read The Secret and I got on the plane and it was a six hour trip to five hour trip to LA from New York. And I remember sitting on the plane and just going, I'm going to visualize this outcome that I want this meeting to have. And to the T, that is the outcome that that meeting had. It was quite incredible. And it was life-changing, definitely life-changing. So I sort of credit a lot of this to The Secret. I know a lot of people think it's a load of rubbish, but there's lots of pieces to The Secret that make The Secret The Secret, which is really just a lot of self-belief and bringing a lot of positive energy to yourself. And I really believe that we're all atoms, we're all energy. So I really believe that we're all energy. And if you really believe that, then you believe that you're, you know, you're like an antenna and you give out energy and you have a frequency and you choose what frequency you want to give out. And I definitely walked into that meeting with a frequency of I'm going to win. And whether you're on my train or off my train, you'll lose kind of thing. So I had a bit of like, I wouldn't say like arrogance wise, I had a bit of cockiness about me because of that. I went into it with that sort of, and you know, what's interesting later on, I started going to this church in LA, one church in LA, the pastor there is called Pastor Ture, and he's really into positive thinking and your belief in faith and believing that every door that's going to open for you was meant to open for you. And the ones that aren't just aren't. And if you really truly have that faith, you lose any sense of desperation. You lose any sense of, I got to have this. And I really believe that when you lose a sense of desperation, other people click onto that and they're like, what makes her so confident? Why is she not desperate? Why is she so chill? They start questioning you in a really positive way. Like, what does she know that we don't know? And I really think all of these things come into play. 
Absolutely. And we'll go into, you know, your story, but I feel like you also do just such a good job in terms of finding the opportunity and situations. And, you know, that is a function of your faith, knowing that one day it will work out. So you're not desperate and you just being positive. So I think what you're saying is just so important. So I just want to underscore it. And, you know, you've called yourself an accidental entrepreneur. Can you kind of expand what you mean by that and how you being open-minded in your journey really kind of led you to your first business, Stacey Hits? Yeah. Wow. There's a bunch of questions in there. So I'll try and break that down. So the first one is why do I call myself an accidental entrepreneur? Well, I will completely blame Pyle Kadakia for this because Pyle Kadakia sought me out, hunted me down, came to see me and asked me to basically be her mentor and help her with her company that she, she didn't actually pitch me for an investment. She just wanted my help. So she wanted to raise money. I'd already raised a bunch of venture funding. So I was one of the few South Asian women at that time that was kind of had raised money and was sort of in the public eye. So she sort of read my story and she was like, I want to be like her. I want to raise money. I want to do what she's doing, blah, blah, blah. So she just came to me and asked me for help. And in wanting to help her, I had very little money myself, by the way. I was an entrepreneur making venture back salary. And in wanting to help her, I just kept saying to her, I was going to other people. And I was like, oh, investing in Pyle's company. And they would say, have you invested? And I'd be like, oh, no, I haven't. And then I would be like, then I went back to my, I'm going to have to invest in your company so that when I tell people to invest in your company, they don't think that I'm crazy. So I gave her a very small check because I didn't have a lot to give her. And that started my journey of entrepreneurship. And then soon after her, Catherine Minshew, who runs The Muse, came to me and asked me the same thing. And then I started writing these very small, tiny checks, to be quite honest with you. I mean, they were really pretty insignificant. But I think what they did was really made those women feel like I had skin in the game and made those women feel like they were worthy and and they could raise money, even if it started off very small. So that was how I became the accidental investor. And I'm definitely an accidental inventor investor. And then I forget what the other question you asked me was. Yeah. Just how you became an accidental entrepreneur. Cause I know before you started your first business, you were a recruiter in Silicon Valley. So it's kind of like a big jump. So I'd love to just hear a little bit of that part of your life. Yeah. You know, you mentioned something earlier about intuition and then opportunities and my whole life, I have never had a plan because I don't believe in plans. And by the way, everybody else should believe in plans. I don't believe in plans for myself because I just believe the world is full of opportunity. Mm. And if you look around you, you will see a hundred things. But if you have a plan, and by the way, this works for a lot of people. It just doesn't work for me. If you have a plan, you're like, I need every opportunity around me to fit into that plan. And I'm moving ahead with this plan. I'm not like that. I just know that the world is, you know, when you look at the sea and it glints with loads of diamonds. That's the world to me. It's all those diamonds are opportunities. And I know there's millions around me and I will just be in a situation and I will flow with it and I will find opportunities. And that's what drives my career. So everything that's happened to me in my life has been just an opportunity that's like sprouted itself in front of me. And I've said to myself, that seems like a great thing to do. I should do that. Hey everyone, it's Yasmin here. I wanted to tell you a quick story. Before I started this podcast, I was working extremely long and crazy hours in banking and then in tech. I was totally burnt out, not living my truth and dreaming of always building my own empire. With all of this stress, it came really debilitating periods from bloating, cramping, extreme breast tenderness and really unpredictable moods. I would always complain to my friends that I was literally 
literally out of commission for at least a week every single month. And that adds up to three months in every year. Other than feeling frustrated that my really bad periods were keeping me from pursuing my actual goals, I knew that something wasn't right. Women are not inherently designed to suffer every single month. That's when I learned about hormonal imbalances. I started working with functional medicine doctors who told me that years of stress combined with taking birth control pills long-term created a cascade of hormonal damage in my body. This is why I felt bloated, tired, crampy, and moody before and throughout my period. They recommended I try something called seed cycling. And let me tell you, it's changed my life. Seed cycling is the simple process of using food as medicine to naturally support your hormones. It uses four different types of seeds, yes, actual seeds, throughout your menstrual cycle to support the balance of hormones like progesterone and estrogen and give your body critical nutrients it needs to achieve your best health. Within weeks of starting this process, I noticed major shifts in my period and my overall health. But I also noticed that seed cycling is actually kind of hard to do. I wanted the best quality seeds freshly ground in the right amount, but it was very time consuming. So I decided to create a simple and effective way for anyone to start seed cycling today using the highest quality organic seeds in the right amounts with the right support. It's called Bia, and I'm so excited to bring it to you. Now, anyone struggling with hormonal imbalances can easily incorporate seed cycling into their busy schedule with the Bia Seed Cycling Bundle. This process has been life-changing for me. I no longer deal with cramps, bloating, breast tenderness, or any other PMS symptoms before my period. It's been a complete game changer, and it's allowed me to focus on things that matter most to me, like this podcast and building my own empire. And most importantly, I want this for you too. If you or anyone you know has been struggling with hormonal imbalances or bad periods, go to beawellness.com slash free. Once again, it's beawellness.com slash free to download our free guide to our top tips in tackling hormonal imbalances and to learn more about our seed cycling bundle. We included this link in the show notes along with a promo code for $10 off for all of our Behind Her Empire listeners. I know you're going to love seed cycling just as much as I do. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the show. You have so much of that confidence now because there has been so many amazing opportunities you brought in your life. But did you have that in those early days when you were hustling as a first-time entrepreneur, you know, meeting Pyle and being that investor, did you have that confidence back then as well? Yeah, I've always had it. I've always believed that opportunities are all around you and you just have to look for them because from such a young age, Everything I did, whether it was getting to university, like I really struggled at school. I had dyslexia. A lot of people didn't know what that was then, or it just wasn't, nobody really had any education around it. So a lot of people just thought it was dumb and wasn't very clever. And it was only when I got to university in America that I even knew that I had dyslexia. I just thought I was, honestly, I thought I was stupid. I thought Mm. I had a problem with reading and writing and like, I just thought I was dumb. And teachers told me that I was. So I was like, okay, I believe you. And I just think that, like my opportunity, for example, to go to America and go to university in America, it was like, I heard about it. I jumped on it. Everything in my life has just been from such a young age. I went to drama school. I saw something on a pin board at, at our school and I was like, I'm just going to audition for it. And, and that opened up a whole world for me. So I just think there's things around you all the time. And I guess I was, I don't know, you know, I think that's just like a, a thing that's inside me that I will look for it. I will look for the opportunity. 
Yeah. And I love that you have faith because, you know, even in this business that I'm launching, of course we have plans, but things have kind of unfolded better than I even expected. So I'm just like, you know, the universe has other plans and you just have to be positive, you know, work hard. But I think that momentum and energetically putting the positive vibes out there, there's definitely something in that. So to see that theme in your life. And you know what I found? I found the right people when they see you're positive and you're energetic they will put opportunities in front of you because they will see that in you and they will just be like, I want to work with that person. Like so many people have come up to me and said, I want to work with you. Like, so for example, Indra Nui, who is definitely one of my mentors and one of the women I respect most in the world came to me and was like, I want to mentor you. And I was just like, how did that just happen? (laughs) You know? And I think that it's funny. She says, you don't pick mentors, mentors pick you. I think about Parker Daka. Yes, she came to me, but I'd made a decision within my first meeting with her that I was going to mentor her and I was going to help her. Like I definitely made that decision to mentor her. And it's so funny because now our relationship was like, I feel like she mentors me. Like we definitely <laughs> have a very equal relationship and, and I really wouldn't even call myself her mentor anymore. I would just say we mentor each other when we need that from each other. But yeah, I really think that if you approach life and you're happy, people want to work with you and you're positive, people want to work with you. And again, like I said, if you approach life with no desperation, I approach life with no desperation because I have this faith element to me. But whatever it is that drives you, that takes away the desperation, basically what happens is people think you have something and they want to work with you for that reason too, because they're like, what makes her so confident? She must have something I don't know about. For sure. I love this. And that actually takes me, you briefly touched upon this amazing meeting that you had with someone who came into your life. So it's Jimmy Iveen. Tell me more about this because the impression that you left really set the foundation, you know, in only 15 minutes of an incredible business partnership and mentorship you had with him. So tell us all about it and what the heck you did in that meeting, because that just sounds awesome. It's so funny. That meeting was hilarious. So really, I actually had a term sheet from an investor, a guy called Drew Lipscher. He was at a fund at the time. And he wanted me to meet Jimmy before. And Jimmy canceled on me. So I flew to, to LA and he wasn't there. He didn't meet me. I was so pissed off. I went back to Silicon Valley, went back up to San Jose, and I was just really pissed off. I ended up not taking the time sheet from Drew, but we stayed in touch. And one day I was in New York and he was like, my Series B, I've raised $5 million. And uh, he said, did you ever meet Jimmy? And I was like, no, he canceled on me. And I don't want to meet him. Like, you know, I have this big attitude. And um, and I just had this attitude that the, the labels were going out of business and they didn't understand tech. And at that point, Spotify wasn't even around. Well, actually, no, I knew. You know what's so crazy? Me, Pyle, and Daniel Eck were rolling around New York at that time. Oh so Spotify God. was happening, but the labels weren't jumping onto Spotify. So I was like, they are so out of touch. They don't know what they're doing. So when I met Jimmy... I kind of had an attitude, like, you know, and I guess he loved it. Like, <laughs> I just kind of had this attitude, like, but Drew was like, you have to meet him. I'm telling you, Andrew, you have to meet him. You have to trust me. So I did trust him and I met him. And yeah, he said to me and he goes, I'll warn you. And I was told that he had 15 minutes for me. And what I've realized now is that's Jimmy's get out clause. Like, if he's bored and doesn't want to meet you, you hear he's got 15 minutes. That when he kicks you out of his office at 15 minutes, you're like, you don't feel bad about it. And he goes, trust me, if he loves you, you'll be in there for like four hours. I was in there for four hours. Really? And yeah, we talked about everything tech and everything music and pop culture. And he was, you know, Jimmy's like a sponge. Like he just wants to learn everything he doesn't know. So I came in with this knowledge of India and, you know, I was coming in from Silicon Valley. So 
He was like building Beats by Dre. So he was an entrepreneur at the time too. So we just had a lot of things in common. But yeah, he completely and utterly changed my life for sure. Amazing. Yeah. I didn't know it turned into a four hour meeting. I'm like, what did Angela do in 15 minutes? Like, this is incredible. I had an attitude. This is what yeah. I had in 15 minutes. I was kind of sitting there just saying, yeah, you know what? Because at that point, I'd literally, I was one of those super cocky entrepreneurs. <laughs> I just raised $5 million. I was kind of like, I don't need anyone. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. It's so funny. Like, later, my pastor would talk about this and he'd talk about the elimination of desperation. Faith gives you the elimination of desperation because you know that if that thing is not for you, you're not desperate for it. The problem with us is that we're desperate for things that aren't for us, but we want them. Do you know what I mean? So with the elimination of desperation, everything changes. But people don't understand people that don't feel desperate. I mean, here's Jimmy, this iconic music industry guy, and I'm sitting in front of him and I'm not desperate. Because I wasn't. I was like, if he helps me, helps me. If he doesn't, he doesn't. This door was for me. It's meant to be. If it's not, it's not. I love that because he, men or women, I'm sure he's not even used to seeing that. So I love right. how you were. That major props to like all women everywhere. That's amazing, Angela. And, you know, you guys clearly became very close and you ended up investing in your Series B. He actually mentioned something that was a bit of a warning for you at the time. So I'm curious for you to share more about that and what you think his intentions were about that quote unquote warning. You talking? I don't know what you're talking about, yeah. but are you talking about him telling me that it was going to fail? Yeah, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to hear the funny story? I was sitting with him at a hotel in New York, and he, Jay Z was with us, and he told me the company was going to fail in front of Jay Z, and I wanted <laughs> really? to punch him. I said, "What do you mean my company's going to fail?" And he was just like, "He just said, look, I I know pop culture, I know where you're at, and you're just ahead of the curve.'" And he goes, "The problem is, by the time the world is ready for Daisy hits." you're going to run out of energy and you're going to run out of money and money we can solve, but energy you can't. And he was absolutely right. Interesting. And he told me that like two weeks after he invested in me and gave me a significant amount of money. And I asked him, I was like, well, why did you invest in me? And he said, look, this is his words. If Eminem walks into the studio and hands me a single that I don't like, I'm not telling him to get out the building. I'm telling him to go back to the studio and create another track. He said, this is your first hit. It's not going to work, but you're going to be an album, not a hit. Oh my gosh. And it's so true. And it just opened up so many opportunities for you guys to work together. And that kind of leads me into another, I'm curious about what were some of the series of accidental events that happened that kind of connected you with Priyanka. And obviously, you know, you became her business partner and manager, but I'd love to kind of hear how that came about. Yeah, that's a funny story. So I don't watch Hindi movies, Bollywood movies, as people call them. I never really watched them. And I did when I was younger, but not when I first spotted Pre. So basically what happened was I was just at my mom and dad's house, regular visit, and Priyanka's on TV and she was in a movie called Bluffmaster and she's doing this kind of like hip-hop spoof. And I don't know, she really caught my attention. And I was not in the business at all then. I was not in entertainment. I was in tech. I was in headhunting. And I just said to my mum, oh, who is that? And she was like, Priyanka Chopra. And I was like, mental no, something about her. There's something about her. I was just like, if anyone, I know exactly what I said to myself. If anyone could cross over, wow. it would be her. Crazy. Forgot about it. Didn't think about it for years and years and years. And oh, no, after that, I went back to New York. My mom sent me her fashion. She was in that, that movie Fashion. And my mom sent it to me. She said, Betta, you should watch this. It's got that girl in it that you like. I think you'll like this movie. So I remember watching it and thinking she was badass. 
I was like, oh, I didn't even know there were like Indian actresses like her. And then I just forgot about it. And then years later, I'd done the music with Jimmy Iovine with for Slumdog Millionaire. It was on Interscope. And we'd done the collaboration with A.R. Rahman and the Pussycat Dolls. And it was top 10 in 10 countries and it done really well. And Jimmy was just kind of like, it was like I had a ticket with him. He was like, you have a free ticket. What do you want to do? He goes, do you want to do something else? So he was really excited about the project. And I was like, you know, Jimmy, there's this woman, Priyanka Chopra. I don't, and he goes, do you know her? And I go, no, no, she's like Beyonce. <laughs> I was like, I don't know her. I explained about her and he was like, go and get her. And I was like, what do you mean go get her? He was like, can she sing? And randomly I was working with Salim and Suleiman who were two producers that I was working with on Lady Gaga because they were doing all the like kind of remixes for Lady Gaga with me. And I mentioned it to them actually through a friend of ours, Devraj. They were like, oh yeah, we just, we just did this demo tape with her. I was like, what? They were like, yeah, she came into the studio and she sang a song. We have this demo tape. And I go, send it to me. So they sent it to me and I sent it to Jimmy. And then he goes, that's a no-brainer. And he goes, let's sign her. But it took a long time to sign her. Like, she was not receptive in the beginning. I had a terrible phone call with her. What I always thought was terrible. She wrote about it in her book. And she wrote that she thought I was very smart. But when I got off that call, I called Jimmy and I was like, she barely said anything. She thinks I'm so dumb. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was, I didn't think it was like a good call, but yeah. Yeah, and it was like really the first time you were doing anything like this. Jimmy kind of just threw you in. You've never really managed any talent, right, at that point? No, <laughs> and, and at that point, I wasn't even managing Pre because we were the label heads, and I'd actually mm-hmm. asked Troy Carter, who was managing Lady Gaga at the time, to manage Pre. Mm-hmm. But later on, Jimmy, again, phoned me up one day and was just like, you know, the only person that can manage a brown girl is a brown girl. And I go, what do you mean? He was like, look, you have a vision for her that nobody else will have because you know where she's coming from and you know who she is and you know what women like you need in a woman like her. And then Pre called me up and then she was like, Jimmy thinks you should manage me. And I was like, do you think I should manage you? And she was like, mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and next thing I know I'm like managing her and it all changed I just became this badass boss that was just like this is how it's gonna go down yes then I got really passionate and aggressive to be quite honest and it required that because no one was giving us the time of day I mean the thing that I respect most about Priyanka is just how she pounded the streets with me with no ego I'm telling you, I know a lot of those women from Bollywood and I don't know that they'd be able to do what she did. She pounded the streets with no ego. When I told her to go into a room and talk to a stranger, she hadn't had to do that for years. You know what I mean? She'd walk into rooms and nobody knew who she was and she had to go and sell herself and she did. And I just have mad respect for her for that. Yeah. I mean, like you said, she was a Beyonce in India and to come to America and kind of start from scratch, that's huge, you know, alongside you. And I just remember she would go... I know you don't know me. I was so, like, my heart would break. Oh. Like, I'm like, the whole half the world knows you. Yeah. I mean, it must be so hard for someone like that to do that, you know, just be so humble and just be like, I know you don't know me. And we would take meetings in like cafeterias and things because we weren't important to be in an office. I remember we'd go to the magazines that she's now on the covers of and we would meet the assistant of the assistant of the assistant in the cafeteria because we weren't important enough. Oh. Yes. It's awesome to hear about this hustle because I also know at the time, I mean, obviously you and Pyle were close and she was pivoting class paths. And I know that kind of sparked an idea for you to kind of change your strategy with Priyanka. So I'd love to hear more about that. 
Yeah, you know, I never actually, don't think I've ever credited Pyle for that. But yes, you're 100% correct in that Pyle taught me the power of the pivot. And she did it in my office and she did it multiple times. And watching her do that, I've got goosebumps. Wow. Watching her do that, definitely. That's what I'm saying. Yes, I was her mentor, but she taught me so much. Watching her do that, I remember walking into Jimmy's office and saying to him, like at this point, I'm managing free, right? So he was like, who's the next single with? What are we doing? Like, what? And I go, we're not going to do one. I said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. She's an actress and she's the most amazing actress in India. She's our best asset in India from an actress standpoint. And I truly believe she was the best actress. Like I remember, and actually I just watched her movie, Bofi, and I came out watching that and I'm like, this girl can act. This is no joke. She's not a singing and dancing, Hindi making. That's not who she is. Like she can act. And I just said to him, I was like, we need to take the skill that she has and we need to put her on TV. And at that time, it was the golden age of TV. Everybody was doing TV shows. And by the way, Pri was like, you want me to do a TV show? And I was like, yeah. <laughs> She's this A-list actress in India and they're not doing TV shows. You know, they're doing movies. Yeah. So, but we were in this golden age of TV here. And I was like, yeah, you need to be Kerry Washington. You need to be Viola Davis. You need to be Sophie Vergara. You need to be leading a show. And yeah, that's how that pivot happened. So important to pivot. And I want to take our interview in a little bit of a different direction, just talking more about your investment portfolio. And I know there's so many gems you can share. And you know, you've invested in so many of the awesome women who've been on the podcast from ClassPass, HealthAid, Yumi, Hooked, and so many more. And I'm curious, what do you look for when you're finding the right founders to back? So two things. One, is there a real problem to be solved? Don't come at me with a problem that really doesn't need to be solved. And then are you the best person to solve it and why? So if you can, as a founder, tell me those two things, I'm probably going to invest in you. And then do you have the je ne sais quoi, which all of the people that I've invested have. They just have that magic that I look for. And that to me, I can't explain it. Like I've tried to think about what that is. People ask me that all the time. What is that? Yeah. And I just can't, I, I can't put my finger on it. I just know it when I see it. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And I'm curious, you've talked about this in a lot of other interviews, but how important it is for founders to know and talk about their metrics, right? And just really knowing their numbers. I love to get your perspective around that too. Yeah, no, I mean, look, I think in any industry, I'll give you an example. It's a very different example, but me, Pri, and Mindy Kaling would go into the studios to sell this movie that Universal ended up picking up. And when we went in to sell that movie, we had to convince people that people would spend money on box office tickets to go to the movie theaters to watch two South Asian women, right? Mm -hmm. And we were just off the hills of Crazy Rich Asians, which had to prove the same thing. And Crazy Rich Asians did 230 million at the box office. And every time I'd speak to someone, I'd be like, Crazy Rich Asians did 230 million at the box office, blah, blah, blah. You have to know your numbers. Whenever, whatever you're doing, whatever you're selling, at the end of the day, people are doing what they're doing for money. And yes, I would love to say they're doing it for art and they're doing it for the betterment of the world. And they're like, you know, I wish that were true. But when you're pitching a business idea, people are doing it for money. They want to know what the return is going to be. They want to know the numbers. So whether it's knowing the numbers of the industry and how you think you're going to disrupt that, or whether it's knowing the numbers of your comp set, like whatever it is, know your numbers. Oh, amen. And I'm curious, you know, you obviously see so many pitches, you meet so many women entrepreneurs. What would you say are maybe a few things that you see people doing as their biggest mistakes? 
Mm, that's a good question. Tackling something that no one believes is a problem. Mm. The amount of people that come to me and go, this is a problem. And I'm like, I just don't believe it's a problem. I don't believe it needs to be sold. I'm all into disrupting industries. When you look at, did anybody think that Airbnb needed to disrupt the hotel industry? Maybe they didn't. Did anybody think that Uber needed to disrupt the car industry? Maybe they didn't. I don't know. But I just feel like if you're going to pitch me a problem, really believe it's a problem, really believe there's something to be solved there or to be made more efficient or to be made better. Know why you're disrupting an industry. For sure. And I know one thing that you've said in another interview is it's so important just as- By the way, you've ind- really done your homework. Yeah. Well, you make it easy. I love all this stuff. There's so much to <laughs> <My> talk <goodness>. about. <laughs> you know, one thing that you've said in another interview as well is just how important it is for women to think big. You have naturally done that, but I want to also underscore this because I think it's so important. And I don't know if men naturally do that versus women, but would love to get your perspective around thinking big. You know, I got to tell you, so a couple of things. I love this question because it brings to mind, do you know Rashma Sajani? Who yes. is, but have you had her on, by the Not way? Not yet. No, but she okay. needs to come on. She does. We need to make that happen. Rashma says this really cool thing that I love. She says, girls are taught to stay on the bottom of the climbing frame and keep their pretty dresses down and not show through their dress. And boys are taught to climb to the top of the frame and like, you know, shout from the skies and be ambitious and be big. And girls are taught to, you know, be quiet and be subdued and like be whatever. And I love that because I really agree that girls are taught very different things to boys. And I really believe that we have to change every bit of that DNA that's in us that makes us feel that we have to think small. But the other thing I would say, just a really simple thing when you want to think big, and, you know, I'm obsessed with stars and skies and all of that kind of stuff from when I was young because it was the one thing that just made me felt like there were infinite possibilities. When I was sitting in my tiny box room bedroom at home, feeling beaten up and feeling like completely ignored by society in the world and feeling like everyone was against me, I would look up at the skies and I thought they just had infinite power and possibility. And I think that when you're thinking about something, go out, take a walk, look at the sky. It just makes you feel like there is infinite possibility. And there is. And there's so much evidence to support that. When you think of all the things that people have done in the world and gone against such great adversity to do those things, it's like, how can you not believe that thinking big makes sense? You just can't not believe that. 100%. And you know, another topic I want to talk about, and this is a theme that you have with most of the entrepreneurs you invested in, is many of the founders weren't necessarily in the industries that you're in. And I think this is also important because so many women I talk to, they're like, I don't have the background. I don't have this, you know, the experience. I'm like, that doesn't matter. But tell me more about why you actually look for that in the people you invest in. Because if you're going to solve a problem, you have to have a unique way to solve the problem. And if you're in the industry, you probably will solve it the same way everybody's been solving it and replicate that problem. When I told Jimmy that I couldn't be Priyanka's manager because I'd never been a manager, he said, that's exactly why you'll be a great manager, because you will approach the problem in a completely different way. And you're a disruptor. And that's what you do. And disruptors, to me, are people that can look at an industry and go, oh, my God, that needs to change. I always cite Airbnb and Uber and ClassPass as some of those companies. Like, look, ClassPass was one of the biggest gym membership companies in the world, but didn't own any gyms, right? Uber was one of the biggest transport companies in the world, but didn't own any cars. And Airbnb is one of the biggest vacation resorts, whatever you want to call it, and had no hotel rooms. People looked at that industry in a completely different way and disrupted it. So yeah, often I just think that 
you're better to be somebody that comes from a different perspective, which is how you can see the problem differently. Yes, it's the, the one of the biggest value adds. And, you know, I want to be mindful of our time together, but I want to see, you know, what are you up to these days? I know you have your hands in so many different things, but what is getting you excited? I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah, so many things. So I'm just, I literally finished the last draft of a fiction novel that I've been writing for 15 oh, years. Really amazing. Yeah. So I've gone to my agent. She might make a hundred more changes to it, but I feel I'm definitely at the end of the road with this novel. So I'm excited about that. And I've been doing a lot more creative projects with Priyanka, like on the film side. So loving that this movie that we have coming up with Mindy and Priyanka is super exciting. I'm an executive producer on, and then just, yeah, you know, the investments that I'm making, Pyle and I are always tinkering in the workshop and coming up with different ideas of things that we want to do together. So, yeah, like I said, I'm not a planner. So it's very much about what's in front of me today and what I can make with that. You know, that's one of the things I think as kids, when you grew up having to like create your own fun and having to create your own entertainment, you're just so creative. And for me, you know, that's how I am. I'll, I'll see what's around me and I'll make some fun out of it. You're amazing, Angela. Well, I'm excited to continue to watch you grow and kill it for all the women everywhere. But it was such an honor to have you on. Thank you again. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. And by the way, really did your homework. That was such a fun interview. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Behind Her Empire. If you enjoyed this conversation, it would mean the world to me if you would consider leaving a review or even sharing this episode with someone who might be inspired to create their own empire. To stay updated on new episodes or join our private community, visit BehindHerEmpire.com to sign up. We send inspiring and short emails every week to your inbox. I'll see you next week. And until then, remember, you're always in charge of your own destiny and it's never too late to start your own empire.